George. My wife is Katie. I'm one of the viewers here. Hello, if I don't know you already, you're very, very welcome this morning. Kate and I have just had the um, uh, immense privilege, immense privilege, of having quite a lot of time uh, on holiday, which has been great. We just got, we got back on Friday, and actually the early hours of Saturday morning. And as we were on holiday, the Lord's been speaking to me about a few things, and, and I think that for us as a church, at the beginning of this new year, um, it's really simple this morning, I think there's two things, um, really I think the Lord wants to say, I think one is an encouragement, one is a kind of, um, like a keep on keeping on sort of thing, keep on seeking, keep on longing for God, keep pressing in to following Jesus. You know, Paul calls it uh, fighting a good fight, doesn't he? Fighting a good fight of faith. So Paul calls it running, uh, running the marathon. I think one of it is just an encouragement to continue doing that. And the, and the second thing, really simply, I think it's a bit of a challenge. As we come into this new year, as we continue to seek God, as we continue to worship God, as we continue to long for more of him in our lives, individually and as a church, and for more of his outpouring of his love and his spirit in our city, um, what, what is it that might stop us from doing that? And I want to suggest this morning that the, sort of the enemy of progress in Jesus, the enemy of progress in the life of the disciple, um, is fear. It's going to be quite simple this morning, it's two thoughts. But I want to start by asking a question. I wonder, I'm curious, have any of you ever worried about being attacked by a shark? <laughs> a couple of hands going up. Some people really resonate, really resonate with that. Maybe if you've been lucky enough to go away to a hot country. Maybe after watching Jaws, possibly, for some of us. Or if you, if you grew up stateside, maybe during Shark Week um, in the US. Anyone know about Shark Week? In the, yeah, okay. What about elephants? Who in the room has been worried about elephant attack? Really? Wow, okay, that's good, that's good. Wow. <laughs> Sort of ruins the points. <laughs> well, I heard, well, this is supposed to be a surprise to us all, that you're over 50 times more likely, 50 times more likely, to be killed by elephant than by shark. In fact, the fatalities um, uh, of, of shark attacks every year, fatal shark attacks, are average around five. Globally, in a, in, a, in a world of over 6 billion people, and there are about five fatal shark attacks a year. And even, even the number of non-fatal shark attacks, we are going somewhere with this, is, <laughs> rel is relatively low. And globally, it averages about 60 shark attacks a year, even in places that are really populous with sharks. But 200 people a year are killed by elephants. And you can't... On average, I would say, although this might be ruined now, on average, I would say most of us are more scared of sharks than we are of elephants. Is that pretty agreeable? Yeah. On the average person is more scared of sharks than elephants. And why is this? I think there's a bunch of reasons. I think there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. But, but typically, we typecast sharks, don't we, as kind of uh, like the villains? A sort of sinister and sort of brooding, waiting for us in the depths of the water. And, and elephants tend to be sort of friendly, happy-go-lucky, entertaining people. <laughs> you might think of you might know someone who reminds you of, but think of Dumbo or the or the elephant in the Disney Tarzan movie. You see, media has has so such a power. The way that we portray things has such a power to create fear in us. 
we, the, 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 we, would, we would fear sharks so much. Well, well, the truth is that one shark attack with the right amount of media scare behind it can clear beaches for an entire summer, can't it? We spend so much of our lives, I spend so much of my life, fearing irrational things, being worried about, being scared of things that really don't matter, that are likely never to happen to me in the grand scheme of the universe really don't matter. Kate and I were coming back from the airport on Friday, from Luton Airport, and I felt genuinely anxious that there wouldn't be a service station with a McDonald's on the way back to Nottingham. <laughs> we spend so much of our lives worrying about things that don't matter. And on a more serious note, <laughs> our society and our culture doesn't just accept fear, it, it, it kind of embraces it, right? It even, it even feeds into it. You know, we become, we become fearful, whatever, whatever way you voted in 2016, both sides of the Brexit debate are fearful, we're full of fear. It's an unknown, we don't know what the outcome's going to be, and this thing was supposed to make us less anxious, this thing was supposed to move us forward, arguably has left us on both sides of the fence just more fearful. We see it in institutions. We, we, we see, I mean, insurance, right? It's literally the betting against things. Betting things going wrong in your life, right? It's an interesting, interesting thought. But we're, we're so fearful, we're so wrapped with anxiety. The, 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 even media outlets, political groups and ideologies with, with the right spin can feed on our fear as people. Political groups with, 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 with the right amount of kind of advertising know-how and savvy can, can create, cultivate fear in a whole community and then feed off of it to win even whole election cycles. Our society is wrapped in fear and anxiety. So it's no wonder that the most repeated command in all the scripture by God is do not fear. Don't be afraid. God knows our propensity as human beings to become fearful, to live lives of anxiety and worry and fear. And biologically, fear hasn't always been a bad thing. You know, fear, fear in a biological sense was that kind of mechanism that, and I'm going to pretend I know about science for a second, <laughs> so Kate should be sharing this bit, but it's this, it's this mechanism that, that relates to part of our brain called the amygdala, and the amygdala is in charge of our fight or flight compact, com uh, complex, can't even say complex, can say amygdala though. <laughs> and this would have been in, in, in years ago when we were living in a far more threatening uh, kind of environment than we are now. It would, be, it would be fear that would let us know whether we run away from that wild animal that's seeking to bounce, or whether we fight and kill it and roast it on this new thing we've come up with called fire. The fight or flight complex is important because we lived in a threatening environment, but for most of us, that's not our experience of fear anymore. In the environment that we're in today, we're not, we're not in the same level of threat. Fear doesn't function as a, as a necessary biological impulse. It becomes something that paralyzes us. It becomes something that can control our lives. The biological process of fear is something active, right? And hits the brains of impulse and it springs us as people into action to fight or to run away. But the fear that so many of us experience in our lives today makes us inactive. In um, 
scripture, there's really two pictures of fear that are given to us. Uh, one is uh, the fear of the Lord, and the other is, uh, generally speaking, is fearfulness. Well, that's St. Paul puts it in 2 Timothy, the spirit, the spirit of fear. And just like these two types of fear that we've just been going through, the fear of the Lord is something active. The fear of the Lord is something that draws us into the awe of God. It's something that draws us to worship. It's something that, that infuses us to seek God, to know Him more, to live more like Him. It's, it's something that creates intimacy. King David, when he writes one of the Psalms, Psalms 25, says the friendship, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. The fear of the Lord has to do with intimacy. It's active and it's progressive. It, it causes action within us. It causes transformation within us. And it takes us forward. Fearfulness, on the other hand, the spirit of fear, is something that is inactive and aggressive. It stops us in our tracks. Any of us have experienced it. All of us in this room have experienced it. And it stops us in our tracks. And it makes us smaller. The fear of the Lord is about intimacy and connection. Fearfulness is about isolation and captivity. Kate and I, like I said, have just been away on holiday. Um, and we went to Morocco. We went to Morocco. It's our first time. Really fun. Got a lovely leather bag. I'll show you later. Very proud of it. We went to visit Marrakesh, the capital of Morocco. For those of you who didn't know, and there's a square in Marrakesh called El Fanar. And El Fanar is the square that is kind of um, it's really the place that everyone we knew that had been to Morocco had told us to go. If you go to Marrakesh, you've got to go to El Fanar. It's a big square in the centre of the city. And this square is like full of culture and life and vibrancy. You go there at any time of the day, particularly in the evening, there are street performers and there's all kinds of uh, uh, food outlets just kind of lining the entire square. And, then, and there are people with market stalls and there's hawkers trying to get your attention and, and tell you to come over to their particular store. It's so full of life and culture. Um, but Kate and I very nearly didn't experience Alphanar Square because of one there are also an inordinate amount of snake charts on Alphanar Square. And Kate and I hate snakes. When Kate and I read the beginning of Genesis, it's no wonder to us that the devil takes on the form of a snake. We say, That's about right. We hate snakes. And we, we were talking to a taxi driver about this in Morocco. And he said, oh, no, 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 that the cobras are fine. It's just the vipers you've got to be careful around. Which wasn't at all comforting. And just kind of exacerbated this fear of not going to El Fanar. In the end, we, 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 we did go. And this is the thing, is that, you know, there, there was a kind of a fear about snakes, but it became so irrational, because the likelihood of anything happening is so low. The, the, the ability to avoid all of these snake jumps is so high. But we were nearly robbed of a life-giving, amazing experience because of our fear of snakes. This place that everyone told us to go to, we almost didn't go to because of a, a phobia. Fear began to set the agenda, and this is like our relationship with God. We, we, can, we can miss out on so much of what God is calling us into as disciples when fear sets the agenda. We can miss out on so much of, um, of, of the mission, we can miss out on so much of the vision and the purpose that God has for our lives when we let fear control us. 
I don't know if you're like me, but this word fear, sort of in everyday life, I kind of sanitise slightly. I call it worry. Worry sort of sounds a little less um, classical, doesn't it? Sort of sounds like less big than fear. But, but my, my own experience of worry is just when I make a habit of fear. Jesus, in our passage today, is talking to the crowds about worry, isn't he? Why don't we read um, the passage that John read to us again? Matthew 6, verses 25 through to 34. Jesus says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single, single hour to your life? This whole thing of fear being inactive is what Jesus is putting on there. Fear doesn't create anything. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour of your life to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? This is another big one. You worry about fashion necessity, right? Anyway, sorry, as you can tell, I, I don't. Um, <laughs> verse 28. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendour was, dressed like, was not dressed like one of these. <coughs> if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, and this is the important bit, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What is it that Jesus tells us is the antidote to worry and fear in our lives? But seek first the kingdom. Do not worry about these things. Your Father, God already knows you need them. What is the antidote to fear and worry in our lives? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, Jesus, Jesus knows that the worry and fear in our lives isn't so much about what we do or don't do. It's not about a proposition. It's not about a tick box. Fundamentally, it's about what we seek. What Jesus is saying here is that anything that you seek, anything that you can desire, the, 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 the direction of your life, if it's headed anywhere but towards the kingdom of God, ultimately it will create, it will create fear. Ultimately it will leave you anxious. Ultimately it will leave you worried. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. When you put God first, in your life, in your day, when you make prayer and worship a priority, when you make what we're doing here, community, a priority, everything else will be added. It also says in Scripture that perfect love casts out fear. And the only, the only place where perfect love exists is with inside the community, inside the life of God. So seek first the kingdom of God. And as Kate and I were away and thinking about our time at Trinity so far, I want to I encourage us. I think this is what we're going for. 
I think this is what we're trying to, trying to figure out together. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? I've never been part of a church community that I, I, I've never been part of a church community that I think takes this command so seriously. You can see all the time in the way that we worship, in the way that we prioritise God's presence, in the way that we love one another. I've seen that time and time again in the hunger that we have to see Nottingham come alive. This is what the vision series is all about, isn't it? Kind of the, sort of the umbrella term, as John and Amy said, that we use at Trinity is to see the church on fire and the city alive. But if you wanted the vision above that, it would be to seek first the kingdom of God. We can see it happening all around us. We, 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 we share stories with each other about ways that Jesus is moving in people's lives. The, the fact that we're sat here today, the fact that this is a church, the fact that we're in this building is a testament to God's action. It's a testament to God's love. The fact that there's a bunch of us in this building who weren't here six months ago. Jesus is changing lives. But the challenge behind this, as God takes us forward as a community, is to flee fear, to keep seeking the kingdom. The challenge always for us as we go deeper and deeper and deeper into what God is calling us to do as a church and individuals is to continue to keep fear in check. We see this all the time, particularly in, particularly in the book of Acts. Blessing and opposition always kind of uh, interconnected. They always come together, don't they? Often after a period of real, of real blessing in the church, that, that there's, there's, there's some kind of challenge or some kind of difficulty is faced by the apostles. And yet when, when we flee fear, we see in Scripture all the time that the Spirit fills them with even greater boldness, even greater courage. And the shadow side of our vision series that we've been going through has been the, uh, the fears that I've been confronting myself. When we talk about giving, I've been confronting my own fear of not having enough. When we talk about community, I confront my own fear of, of, not, of, of kind of really being known by people. In prayer, I confront my fear that I don't have it all together, that I need God. I need to ask God for things. Serving and commitment is a big one for me because it confronts my fear of missing out. Committing to relationships, committing to a church family confronts my fear that the grass might be greener somewhere else. It's true of, of Jesus' teaching here that the passage we have today in Matthew 6 comes in this broader um, a teaching that, 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 that we call, sort of call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' teaching constantly exposes the fears of society. When Jesus talks about anger in the Sermon on the Mount, he's confronting the, the fear of so many of the people that were listening that if we, don't, if we don't retaliate, if we don't get revenge, then justice won't really be done. Can any of us relate to that? When I'm, when I'm, when I'm angry, that's how I feel. I have, this, I have this fear that if I don't do something about it, justice isn't going to be done. There needs to be fairness and I need to be the one to make it fair. But we know that the end is God's. We know that Jesus is coming back. He is the one who was and is and is to come. That he is perfect justice. And when he makes all things new, perfect justice will flow like a river. fear comes into contact with Jesus, or rather I should say in Jesus, places of fear can become places of freedom. Places of fear can become places of freedom. The things that hold us captive in our lives, we can be freed from. Kate and I um, 
making us sound very sort of uh, extravagant here, but Kate and I went on another holiday <laughs> just before Christmas uh, for our anniversary um, to Rome. We're a couple that take European city breaks now. <laughs> just went to Rome for a couple of days, whatever. We're going to go to Prague next, maybe. Brussels. <laughs> it's a life stage that we've hit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah the boss is here. I <laughs> When we went to Rome, I was asking um, a friend of mine, Sarah, about what should, we, um, what should we definitely visit in Rome. And more than anywhere else, she said one place. You should visit this one place. It's called Santa Maria Violata. And Sarah, my friend Sarah is a theologian and uh, helps train, um, uh, train people in theology and train vicars and all that kind of stuff. And Santa Maria Violata is this quite unassuming place in the centre of Rome. Um, you know, kind of in the opulence of Rome where you've got big basilicas and huge churches and big museums and all the rest of it. It's this kind of like grubby looking building sort of caught between two Roman houses. Um, but the reason that so many people that go on pilgrimage to Rome or that visit Rome go to Santa Maria Violata is because the crypt of this church is, is where, um, where many people believe was the site of Paul's house arrest. Paul being simple. So if you know Acts at all, uh, Paul kind of is on this journey, kind of in the beginning bit, he sort of wants to get to Jerusalem, but then really he wants to get to Rome, his big aim is to get to Rome, and um, he makes this appeal to Caesar, and, and, and as a result of this, he gets put under house arrest in Rome. In fact, a lot of the writings that we have from St. Paul in the Bible, he wrote, a lot of the letters that he wrote, he wrote when he was in prison. And I was thinking about this, and it's, it's such a bizarre thing, because you sort of walk down into this crypt, and it's just, it's sort of just mud, isn't it? It's just kind of mud and stone. It's just sort of a few um, rooms. And I was stood there thinking about um, St. Paul being under arrest. And the thought that occurred to me was that that St. Paul had encountered Jesus, right? And he wanted to tell everyone about Jesus. And then he gets put under arrest. And, And for me, my logic would say that, well, okay, well, that's the game's up, right? I've been, I've been trying to do what God's called me to do, but now I'm under arrest. I'm literally, literally held in captivity. So maybe I'm done. You know, maybe Jesus, the, 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 kind, of, kind of whatever I was trying to do has now been stopped. It's now been ceased because I'm under arrest. It would be so easy as I was stood there. I was thinking it would be so easy just to become so fearful. Fearful of what's going to happen. Um, when you're under arrest and what, what the arrest is going to lead to, but also, also fearful that your, your kind of life's over, your purpose is done with. And yet, isn't it fascinating that, that, that a place that could have been so full of fear for Paul, that could have been so full of worry and anxiety, in Jesus became a place of freedom where he, where some of the, really his life's greatest work was written out of. You know, that we know about Paul today because he wrote his, these letters, most of which he wrote from prison. This place where fear could have controlled the agenda, where fear could have been at its highest, at its most dense, at its most overwhelming, in Jesus became a place of freedom. And I just think that, you know, so often as God calls us more and more to live like him, as God calls us to step out more and more into the things that he's calling us to, the, 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 the kind of, it's so easy for fear to try and sneak in. But when we look to Jesus, those places of fear become places of freedom. A world full of uh, self-help books on how to stress less. On techniques and tips on how to drum up courage. My brother, if he's stressed, uh, has a cigarette. 
says it helps calm him down. It doesn't. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus gets to the root of the issue, doesn't he? Because, because if, we, if we seek ourselves, if what we're looking to is ourselves, there's very little hope. There's, very, there's a lot of reason to fear. If what we look to is the world, if what we look to is, is some kind of, sort of slightly vacuous, vapid self-help, a few techniques, there's a lot of reason to be fearful. When we look to God, there's reason to be hopeful. There is reason to worship. There's reason to, 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 to expect for our, for our lives to, um, to be bigger, to expect for our souls to thrive. So the simple question I think this morning, as we, as we go into a new year, as we look out on 2019 as a church and as individuals here today, so what, what are we seeking? Jesus identifies the root of fear as not being about a proposition, but about what we're seeking. I asked myself this question as I was preparing the sermon. You know, As I go into this year, do I seek success more than the kingdom of God? Do I seek popularity more than the kingdom of God. It's a big one for the Pharisees and the Gospels, right? Do I seek security more than him? Even for me, happiness. Sort of seeking happiness. And culturally, it's a big thing, isn't it, right? The pursuit of happiness. Even seeking happiness above God really is linked to the fear of not wanting to suffer, the fear of avoiding hurt, of avoiding pain. What is the main force at work in your decisions as you enter into this new year? When you make a decision, is it, is it out of fear? Or is it out of love? What are we seeking as we begin this new year together? I just want to read one thing, um, and then we're going to finish and we'll pray. Um, in Philippians, one of the letters that Paul wrote from prison, maybe even that he wrote when he was under house arrest in Rome, Chapter 1, verse 28 says this. This is Paul speaking. I'm here, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's the important bit. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You know, Paul, Paul is writing from prison himself. He's writing from a place that can be so full of fear and anxiety and worry. And he's writing to a people who are, who are suffering as well. The people that are being persecuted as well for, for what they believe, for their faith in Jesus. And yet Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. The point is this. The enemy isn't just disappointed the devil whatever you whatever word you want to use it's not just that he's disappointed when we don't fear when we don't fear the enemy is reminded that he's doomed the enemy is reminded that he's lost that on the cross and in the resurrection Jesus' kingdom is the one that's prevailed Jesus the kingdom is the one that's going to make our church more and more burst into flame it's going to make our city come alive our circumstances aren't Lord our fears aren't Lord. Our anxieties aren't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Yeah. It's his future that we're heading towards, the recreation of all things. When we renounce, when we denounce fear, 
We pour out judgment upon everything that is evil in this world. We pour out, we pour out God's judgment on everything that is wrong and everything that is broken. We say your end is death. What kingdom do we live in? I'm going to finish with this. I wrote a few of these. and um, I think maybe, why don't we stand actually? Why don't we stand to do this and then we'll um, pray together. The choice that, um, the question I think God was asking me when Kate and I were on holiday is, you know, what, what kingdom do you want to live in this year? You know, not just about seeking yeah we want to seek first the kingdom of God but then what kingdom do you want to live in do you want to live in a kingdom of fear do you want to live in a kingdom ruled by anxiety a kingdom that would be so easy to follow and to absorb because of the world that we live in or do you want to live in the kingdom of God this year so I wrote a few things and if these resonate with you I just, I just would encourage you to, um, to claim them for your life this year Maybe you want to add some of your own. They're not particularly articulate. What kingdom do we want to live in this year? The kingdom of fear says be timid. And the kingdom of God says be brave. The kingdom of fear says you can't be loved. And the kingdom of God says you are eternally, completely, unconditionally loved. Fear says you won't have enough. And God says I will provide. Fear says be realistic. God says dream dreams. Fear says step back. God says step out. Fear says try harder. And God says you are enough. Fear says tell no one. God says tell the world. (laughs) Fear says be afraid. God says be free. Fear says I'm alone. And God says I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Fear says I'll never find rest. God says come to me and I'll give you rest. Fear says, I'm not understood. And God says, I know you by name. Fear says, the future is scary. God says, I have a good future. Fear says, it's all getting worse. God says, I'll make all things new. I'll do it. Fear says, I can't talk to that person. God says, I've sent you to them to share good news. Come on, mission. (laughs) Come on, prayer on the streets on Wednesday. Fear says, God wasn't there. God says, I was with you every single step. Fear says, I have too many doubts. And God says, I can take them all. Fear says, I'm small. And God says, you can slay giants. I quite like that one. Fear says, God doesn't care about me. And God says, Jesus died on the cross for you. Fear says, I'm too sinful. And God says, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. Fear says, I'm not called. And God says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Fear says, my life doesn't matter. And God says, before you were born, I knew you and you're of infinite value. Fear says, these people aren't good. And God says...